ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, thanks for joining Western Contours as we bring you Elk Holland Academy's Feature Friday. This week, Michael talks about heavy pressure public land elk hunting strategies. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. My name is Michael Batiste from the Elk Calling Academy, and this is Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're honored to have you here. Um, the way Wapiti Wednesday works is typically start with a subject and Tonight's title subject is actually one of the first questions that came in today. I know we're getting close to season, so really on the next couple of episodes, I really wanted to focus on what questions you guys had. And so that's what kind of started tonight's um, topic or discussion. Now, also, no matter which platform you're on, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, Feel free to go ahead and type your questions in. We already got some questions rolling in. That's awesome. And also, if this is, is your first time or you've tuned in a couple of times and you're just enjoying the content, make sure that you like, subscribe, or follow. Um, so that way you're notified every time we go live or we upload new videos. So uh, let me jump back here real quick. Uh, to, 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 to. Hey, what broadheads do you shoot? So this year I am shooting the Evo X from day six. Uh, we're actually testing a few different ones in camp. So I'm shooting the Evo X from day six. Uh, Eric is shooting the 125 grain Maasai from Grizzly Stick. Brandon is shooting the Redline Maasai from, or, or Redline from Grizzly Stick. And Bryce is shooting the Silver Flame from Grizzly Stick. And a couple of the other, other guys are shooting QAD Exodus, which we've had camp, in camp for uh, last couple of years. So... All right, so let's jump into this. So, all right, so we will go to the first question and it actually is from Instagram. And it basically says, we have our own thoughts, but something many hunters will face in just about two weeks is how to hunt the opening one to two days in an area of high competition. General thoughts on how hunters can increase their odds of success when thorough scouting or through scouting, you know, they basically discovered that they won't be alone in the basin they plan to hunt on opening day. So great question. And, and, and really, yeah, a lot of times when you're scouting a new area, you don't really know how many people are going to be there. You know, what, what are the crowds going to be like? What, what's the competition going to be like? Um, but the one thing that I really like to do, especially in a new area, is not be so quick just to blow through it or move through it. You know, it seems like so many people focus on, well, how many miles did you put in today? 
oh, we put in 12 miles. Oh, really? Well, we put in 15. It's like it's this competition. Um, you know, honestly, after I I ran up and checked trail cameras and swapped cards this past weekend, um, we did a seven mile loop, but we have our plan for opening morning. Our opening day hunt is going to be three miles. That's it. Three mile loop. But we're really going to go slow and really work the area because the area that we hunt is, you know, that we're focusing on this year is they're moving up from the face into this area where they're bedding. And so if we just blow through there early in the morning, the elk may not even be there yet. You know, we could go in there and there's a ton of sign, a pile of sign, and we just blow right through it. And it's like, man, this doesn't make any sense. And we've all heard it. We get in there. Here's all this sign. There's not a single elk. And what's the first thing we do? Nah, must have been some people in here yesterday that pushed them out or this or that. When in reality, we're so focused on how many miles can we get in today and how much country can we cover? I was guilty of it. When I was, when I was younger, it was all about how many miles can I get into a day? It wouldn't be uncommon for me to get 15, 16, sometimes pushing 20 miles in a day um, of just constantly covering. But then as I kind of really started to learn more, it's like, man, how many elk am I just blowing by? How many elk am I not giving a chance to get there? Once I really started slowing down and really working an area better and really understanding it, I really started to see a lot more animals. So basically in response to this, how are you going to be different or what are you going to be different? You know, a majority of the people are just going to be running and gunning, blowing and going, trying to locate. Let them. Don't even try to compete with them. So take your time, slow down and work that area. Set up, especially if you have fresh signs, set up and do some blind calling. You know, take your time to really, really work that area. Why leave elk to go find elk? Okay. So... Hopefully that answers your question on that. Um, let's see, what else do we got? Oh, and by the way, on the scouting trip, we did see four or five bulls. Every bull we saw was already hardhorn last weekend. Um, I've talked to a few people. Some people in some areas are seeing hardhorn. Some are seeing still full velvet. velvet. Some are seeing half rubbed. The more that I learn about this new area that we're hunting, I really think we have a very high bull to cow ratio. And so there is a lot of competition for cows. And that's why maybe they're rubbing a little bit early to get hard horns so that they can start that competition. So uh, let's see. We had a couple roll through on Instagram here. So. Okay. Uh, can you tell me what I'm doing wrong with making a cow call? I have my read so you can bring me on um yeah christian probably not while we're live uh but if you just want to send me a little recording clip of it um yeah i'll listen to it and kind of shoot you a little feedback so uh is it better to join in all the people calling opening morning or hold off and wait for the right time in recent years seems a wood seem to sound off on opening morning well so here's my question to you what's what's the right time I mean, if honestly, if you're doing the right things, any time is the right time because you can take a quiet mountain and or a quiet drainage and you can do the right calling that can create a bunch of excitement that they can then turn that quiet area into a vocal area. Um, I mean, last year, 30 minutes after sunup on opening morning, and we had two bulls that, you know, we had worked through the bottom portion, locating nothing. We got up to the knob and started breaking into a blind calling routine. And within about five, 10 minutes, had two bulls on the face that we had just walked through, start bugling and come up to us. So you can actually create that excitement and you can create that vocalization if you're telling the right story. So um, do you bugle on opening weekend or are you cow calling? Both. So I, I, I don't just focus on one or another because um, honestly, um, I, I, I'm using cow calls and bugles to tell a story. It, it's not like I'm trying to pigeonhole everything into 
just one sound or one call. It's it, it's you are telling a story. So that's the thing to remember. Uh, is August into September going to be hot or short summer heat? Um, you know, everything that I'm seeing on the extended forecast right now, the first part of the season is going to be about normal temps. Um, going to be, you know, pretty warm in the afternoons. Not real cool at night, um, but really, uh, it, I don't, you, you know, we're still 16 days out. Um, I really don't start looking really close at that for another six days until we're about 10 days out. I I like that 10 day forecast that encompasses the days that I'm going up and I will pull up a weather station up near where I'm hunting so I can actually see, um, you know, what the weather is doing up in there. So, okay. Okay, good. Got that. Um, <laughs> let's see. Hope you're having a good day. Uh, Justin, hello. First time here. I've watched hours and days of your videos. Thanks for all the great info. I've learned so much. Justin, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Saturday it begins in Utah. C good luck to all of you guys. I want the closest elk to the truck I can find, 100 yards or 10 miles. I'm late. Just got done with an hour and a half cardio session at the gym, then a leg workout four weeks tomorrow. Uh, would you recommend starting high or low on the mountain with these temperatures? So, uh, again, that's going to vary from area to area of where they're going to feed, where they're going to be at, um, the travel corridors of where they're where they're going to bed. Um, you know, the area that that you know we hunt, it's kind of a mix. There's some groups that go down low and then feed and then work that face up to that higher elevation. There's other groups that just stay up on that higher elevation. So you get kind of a mix. Um, honestly, it's it, the elk are going to be where you find them. So, um, if it's a new area, alcoholic, you, you know, you might want to start low, work high, learn as much about that mountain, learn as much as that area as you can by covering different elevations and reading the sign, taking, you, you know, taking into account all the sign that you're seeing. Um, that's going to give you the information of where those elk are at, where it's, where it's traveling. Um, you know, if you're going along and you find a lot of fresh tracks, fresh sign, and they're all in single file, you know, follow those quietly, see where they're going. You know, a lot of times those, those tracks are either heading to a bedding area or heading to a feeding area. Um, they'll kind of disperse and break up a little bit once they start getting close to where they're going to settle down. Uh, but you can learn a lot of the areas sometimes just by walking around quiet, not even saying a darn thing. Just, I mean, once in a while you can stop and throw out a locate. Um, but I mean, pay attention to your surroundings, pay attention to the tracks, pay attention to the information that the mountainside's given you. So, uh, what's up? Good, Mike. Sorry, I'm late. How about later in the season when the rut starts to die down around November? Uh, yeah, November, you know, you, you kind of might still get a few stragglers in on that late rut. Uh, but really, at that time, they're basically kind of staging, getting ready to uh, move out for their wintering ground. So, Stephen, more time, you, you know, at that time of year, I'm going to focus more on cow sounds, um, you know, probably distressed calf, lost calf, play on the maternal instincts of the cows and the protective nature of the bulls. So, um what type of calls would you recommend using for the first week? Bugling this early other than locate in that late evening seems too early. No, it doesn't, guys. It, 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 we all have this mindset. We all have this stuck in our head that bulls don't bugle at the start of the season, that they don't do this at the start of the season, that they don't do that. And here's why. Because we have gone out and have done the same thing year after year after year after year after year after year after year, which is basically, hey, let's just go cover a bunch of ground, bugle and locate and try to find and blah, blah, blah. But what about if you just did something different? where you just got into one of those areas and you just sat down and you started doing some blind calling and you started doing a, you, you know, painting a picture that, you, you know, there's a couple of cows and calves milling around and there's a young bull in there. And, you, you know, he's, he's just kind of letting off some low vocalizations, you know, some huffs and some grunts, maybe a little whine. 
And then see what happens to the area around you. See what happens if other bulls, because August 30th is our opener. Last year on opening weekend, 19 bulls is what we called in and 12 of them were bugling. And not just piping off a little location bugle. I mean, sometimes flat out getting aggressive with it. So it's, it's just, we have to get out of our mindset of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Change the way that we hunt, mix things up. So don't be like the 150 other people that are hunting that same area as you. Think like an elk, talk like an elk, communicate an elk, go watch videos of elk, how they communicate to each other in herd settings. How are they communicating? How are they interacting with one another? And then think about what you do. Are you acting like an elk out there? Are you communicating like an elk out there? Or are you communicating like a human that's running around trying to find elk? So, uh, sorry I'm late, just got back checking trail cam. Did you happen to answer my question about using the bathroom? Not yet. <laughs> so, that is coming up. So, um, pack them out of peril. Have a good night, bud. So, uh, let's see. Think about thermals in the morning. That's talking about whether you should move up or move down. That's the definition of a san insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I think we we're going to uh, going to get the first couple of Wapiti Wednesday after season filled with kudos for Mike and all his efforts to increase Hunter's knowledge of elk bi biology and behavior. I hope so. I want to hear tons of stories from you guys. So Nicholas Curry, good evening, uh, alcoholic. I've spotted them in both spots, that, but there's more sign lower than high, although they bed in the northeast side. Correct. So use that sign and use the knowledge that you're gaining from that herd and the herd movements because the herd movements are going to change from area to area. So uh, what are the normal temps for Idaho in mid to late September? We are hunting about four hours east of Boise. Derek, hit and miss um you know last year opening weekend or maybe it was the year before i think highs were in the 60s lows were in 35s um other years morning lows have been 50s it's been 90 plus during the day i, I mean it just hits it hit and miss you you never know just be prepared for flat out hot oven temp and be pre be prepared for frigid cold and snow you never know. So, okay. Uh, let's see. How late will you scout your areas before the season starts? Should you stop checking trail cameras and stay out for a few weeks prior to the hunt? I'm done. That trip last weekend was the last trip in to swap trail cards or, or the uh, cards on the cameras. The camera's still there. I changed it from photo to video for the last little bit. I will not go back in there until opening day. And then I'll actually pull the camera. Uh, from this point on, uh, we're going to go up the 23rd, 24th, 25th, set camp, get ready for season opener. Um, we're not going to go uh, tromping through the woods. We're basically just going to kind of get in positions and, and use binoculars to kind of scout. So uh, two, 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 13 days in a wake up. All right. So here we go. Back to Instagram questions. So and I think the question here we go. Donster. Here you go, bud. It's early morning. You just got into or near your hunting area and that coffee you drank before leaving is really hitting you. I've heard of people peeing into bottles so it doesn't stink up your hunting grounds. What are your thoughts? I have never, ever peed into a bottle. I've peed right onto the ground. A lot of times I'll take the heel of my boot and kind of dig up the dirt a little bit, pee in that, and then put the dirt over the top of it. Um, but honestly, I, I really haven't had a problem with it. Uh, the odor and stuff just dissipates so quick and disappears so quick. Um, I, I, I've never had a problem with it. So, but to each their own, if you want to carry a shiwi or an empty bottle or whatever with you to PN, more power to you, uh, go for it. So, um, I don't know. So, and yes, Donster, I did laugh when that question came in and I read it. I absolutely love it. So, 
Uh, recently ran into an adolescent bear in my area and on my trail cam. How much is that going to push the elk away? There is a carcass in the area as well that's been dead for a few months. Not at all. They're used to cohabitating. Uh, in fact, on my trail camera, uh, I had a sow and a cub come in and actually lay in the wallow and kind of almost swim in the wallow for a little bit and then leave. And then about two hours, that uh, five by five bull that has the extra point, I guess we're going to call him a five by six because he has that extra point between the G1 and G2 that I posted the other day. He came right in that same wallow a couple of hours later and just laid right in the same wallow. So no, that's not going to affect them at all. Uh, let's see. Okay. <laughs> I love it where you guys are going and running with the L. I got to pull these comments up too. Okay. Uh, I once sat along on a log at daylight and had three different bucks come up to where I sat and sniffed all around the hole I dug and buried. Absolutely. Uh, guys pee out of their tree stands and kill animals all the time. Don't worry about it. Haha. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I appreciate all you do to help. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> let's see. After hearing uh, about your opening weekend last year, I'm wondering if we should have scheduled our hunt for earlier. I'll be there September 13th through the 28th. Uh, you know, not necessarily. I, I mean, yeah, last year was 19 bulls opening weekend. I think the year before it was 15 or 16. Um, you know, but some years it's it's not quite you know, that many. We we generally typically do on a consistent basis get into bulls, you know, on those opening weekends. Um, but, you know, we really do our due diligence to learn patterns and travel corridors and this and that. So we are setting ourselves up in a good spot um, so that we're constantly right there. We know there's elk. We've had trail, trail cameras soaking. We've kind of got a good idea of their patterns. So, you know, we, we start that that first weekend off in elk. So, um, after opening morning, they move out of normal patterns with all the hunters here in Utah. So many hunters. Okay. But Danny, what are so many hunters doing? What are you doing that separates you from all of them? What are you doing? Are you running around the woods calling like a person, like everybody else, or are you studying elk behavior their vocalizations with each other and you are acting and sounding elkish. That's the big thing right there. Uh, during early season, what sounds, are, what sounds are the bulls and cows most likely to do? They can do anything. Um, I mean, the cows will do vocalizations all year round, all their vocalizations. Uh, the bulls, you know, a lot of times early in the season, yeah, it's those location type bugles, unless you've given them a reason to raise their aggression level, to raise their competition level. So that's that's the key there. Um, again, are you just running around locating and, and then challenging or lip balling or this or that? What are you doing? Are you paying attention to what's going on around you. Are you calling too much? You, you know, th th there's all these factors that are in there. You know, what story are you trying to tell? What picture are you trying to paint? So those are all the things. Um, but yeah, I mean, last year, that day one, those, those two bulls. So they started cracking aggressive. And actually the one, as he started getting closer, broke into lip balls. He broke into lip balls. He also broke into roundup bugles as he was trying to call my cow away from me. So, uh, so really it's, it's, they, they can do all the vocalizations. So it's, are you giving them a reason to do those vocalizations? I've only caught cows, spikes, and raghorn on my trail cam. Should I be worried? Not necessarily, because there's a lot of times that we'll go into an area where our trail camera is, and we'll see bulls that we didn't have a single picture of. So, and, and it could be that maybe they're not there during the summer, that they move into that area from someplace else where they've been living during the summer. So, uh, will the moon phase kick rut early this year? Everything I've been seeing on the winter forecast is forecasting for a normal winter year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be not the moon phase, Danny, the autumn equinox, the moon phase has nothing to do with the red. It's the, it's, it's that autumn equinox, the equal amount of light and dark, which is typically the August 
or, or September 21st or 22nd. That's that's what triggers the rut right there. So, but yeah, should be normal right around that time this year. So, um, okay. Uh, not sure if you have covered it yet. Do you night bugle before the season? The night before, yeah, I may go out and crack off one or two bugles, or a lot of times I'll just go out and just sit and listen. So, um, okay. So let's see, what else did we have? For new hunters, would you recommend looking, waiting in clear cuts or more dense forest when making calls? Um, I'm going to be listening to what's going on around me, actually, uh, Summer, if, if, you know, if I'm hearing elk in the timber, then I'm going to, you know, call in the timber. The only thing with clear cuts and, and wide open spaces like that, clear cuts can be tough because they can come to the edge of a clear cut and look all the way across and see where that sound's coming from, leaving you no chance to actually call in that elk. So it's more so not necessarily looking, waiting in clear cuts or, or more dense forest when making the calls. It's, it's more so what's going to give me the best shot opportunity. But I, if, if I remember talking to you, Summer, you're rifle hunting. So for you, calling on the edge of the clear cut may be beneficial for you rifle hunting because you can pull that elk out onto the other side of the clear cut to try to see the elk that's making the noise. So, so for you with rifle hunting, that clear cut may be the better option for you since you'll be able to shoot a little bit farther. So... Uh, how much time do you spend in a brand new area before packing up and moving on, assuming you do the same as me and just e-scout? So uh, it depends. What kind of sign am I finding? If I'm finding fresh sign and I know there's animals there, then I'm going to spend a little bit more time in that area. But if I get into that new area and there's just it's void of sign, I'm not going to spend much time in there at all. So I'm going to go to places where I'm finding fresh sign that I know there's animals there and animals moving around. So uh, let's see, where's the best place to find wallows in steep country with scarce flats? Okay, again, we, we just focus so much on flats that, no, I've seen wallows on the side of a steep hillside. Just because there's not wallow or, or, or water they can do dry wallows where they just turn up the ground, they pee in it and they create a dry wallow there. But also too, on those, on those, on those steep sides, start looking for those springs, those seeps, those creek heads. That's where you're going to find the wallows up there. You don't need a flat hundred yard flat area for there to be a wallow. It could be a small little two foot by three foot area that holds water that could be a wallow. So you're going to find wallows a lot of times at those springs and seep heads. That's where you're going to want to look. So, okay. So that concludes Instagram questions. Uh, to, 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 red is going to happen whether moon is full or not. Uh, I drew the multi-season elk permit in Washington. This allows me to hunt archery, muzzleloader, and rifle and both sides of the state. I will still hunt each with my bow. Michael, that is awesome. That sounds like a great tag to draw. Best of luck to you. Um, are there any tactics you could suggest for hunting with a bow after the rut has ended? Um, yeah, we kind of touched on that a little earlier about that November time frame. Um, you know, still calling. Um, it, it, it's a different type of calling. It's it's like I said, you're focusing on that distressed calf, lost calf, excited calf. Um, you know, you, you're basically at that point. You're paying. You're playing on the maternal instincts of those cows to come protect that calf. But you'll also be surprised about the de the defensive and protective instincts of bulls. Um, it's amazing how bulls, a lot of times, if they're moving up the mountain and a calf kind of falls behind and starts doing that, it's amazing how the cows keep going and the bull is the one that stops and turns and waits for that calf to catch up. So, And also, too, how sometimes the bull is the first one out of a bedding area to come check out or protect or you know grab that lost, distressed calf and bring it back into the group. So... Uh, Zach Radke, how long and how many cold calling setups would you try in a particular spot opening weekend? Well, 
you know, because I'm going to sit down in that area, Zach, where I found, you know, fresh tracks, fresh sign. I can smell them. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work that area for an hour. And then if nothing comes in or I don't have a response or I haven't heard a bugle, then I'm going to get up and I'm going to follow where that sign went and, and move to a different area. To, and then I'm going to set up and I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to sit there for an hour. So most of the time when I sit down to do a cold calling or a blind calling setup, I'm dedicating at least an hour to that spot. So uh, if you can't do a lip ball, what could you do? Nicholas, add your voice. It's, it's not the best, but. You can add your voice and, and kind of give enough of that. Um, rasp in there. So, uh, do you feel that using decoys is beneficial as a solo hunter? Do you find that you are typically moving faster than repositioning a decoy might allow? No, a decoy is a huge benefit as solo hunter. It's, it's one of those things that when you're using a decoy, you need to kind of, kind of keep that in your mindset. And a lot of times, you know, where I've talked about solo hunting, where you, you call and move up and call and move up, when I'm solo hunting a lot and I have a decoy set, I'll call and then move up, but then I'll come back to that decoy for my next calling. I don't continue to call and move up and get farther and farther and farther away from the decoy because then that decoy is useless. I want to use that decoy as a tool, and that's why I want to do a good majority of my calling or sounds right around that decoy. So that way when they get to that point and they lock in on where they see, should hear that sound, and they see the decoy, then the decoy is effective. And then I don't have to make any more sounds at that point because now they have a visual. So, uh, Ben Munoz, how you doing? Hopefully you are recovering brother. So when scouting and hike through rough mountains San de Cristo mountains in Colorado, didn't see one sign received many blisters, sore muscles. Should I change my hunt area being so close to opening day? So, well, so Justin, you, you said you didn't see one sign. So was it fresh sign you were looking for or were you looking for old rutting sign? So because if you didn't see any fresh sign, but you're seeing a lot of old rutting sign, a lot of rubs, a lot of old wallows, that kind of stuff. It could be that that's an area that the elk don't visit during the summer very often. But as soon as rut happens, as soon as they break up from their their bachelor groups and they've looped up their cows, you may have groups that move into that area. So, uh, you know, not always seeing fresh sign. And when I was talking about seeing fresh sign in response to that other question, that's actually during hunting. That's actually now I'm out hunting. I'm in pursuing. So... If I'm not finding fresh sign when I'm out hunting, then I'm going to switch areas. In your case, Justin, it, it all depends. Uh, if you're finding rutting sign, no, I wouldn't give up on it. I would give it a little bit for the first part of the season and then see if fresh sign does come into play. So, all right. Uh, to do, to do, to do. Over to Facebook questions from today. If you find bulls in the evening, what are some factors to considering when deciding if you should make an attempt right then or wait until morning and hope they're still there? So, okay. Um, so biggest factor is how much light is left and how long is it going to take me to get over there? How long is it going to take me to get close enough to set up and work these bulls? And do I have enough time to really work this bull? Because a lot of times in the evening, it's such a short window and it's fast and furious. Um, and, and honestly, if I make the decision that, okay, I'm not going to work them tonight, I'm going to wait and come back in the morning. I'm going to stay there until well after dark listening to them. I want to know where they are going to feed because they could be in that area in the evening with still a little bit of light, but they still continue to move another half mile. If I was just to pull out right there and go, okay, this is where I'm coming in the morning. Then I come back and they're not there. It's like, where did they go? That's why staying there a little bit longer in the dark and listening to where they're moving to can really help you on not only where you're going to go in the morning, but how you're going to come in, what path you're going to come in. So, 
Uh, let's see, DRock DPU. Have you taken any frontal shots on an elk? If so, have you noticed a difference as in less in the amount of blood when blood trailing them? Um, now, you know, DRock, I, I sent you the video of that bull from last year with the frontal shot. There are times that your arrow can bury all the way up to the fletchings. Um, so you may not get a whole ton of blood, but typically on the, on the frontal shots that we've taken, I've actually seen probably more blood than, um, you know, on a, on a side broadside pass through shot. Um, but I, I mean, to say, yeah, really any less or any more. I, I mean, it's all about, you know, shot placement and hitting the vitals and, and you know, getting that good shot placement. Um, I'm a huge fan of the frontal shot. I will take it any day of the week. But as I've said before, there's a few parameters for me. It has to be 25 yards or less, level or slightly downhill, absolutely no brush, and that animal has to be calm. If all of those boxes aren't checked, I won't take a frontal. Too many things can happen. So, but the frontal shot is absolutely great as long as you study the anatomy and you know that volleyball size opening that you have. So, uh, let's see, Tim Damon, finding elk once you get feet on the ground, putting together your maps with your surroundings. So once you've done the studying of the map and now it's time to put your feet on the ground, um, especially in a new area, you're going to have to cover all elevations. You're going to have to start low, work high, and just work up and down to find kind of that range where you're finding, you know, the sign. Um, I wish I could tell you just go mid-mountain or go high or stay low. It, it's going to vary from area to area and herd to herd. Um, but typically, by doing that low to high, you're going to end up finding travel corridors. You're going to find out some good travel routes, some good trails, and that's going to lead you to more information. So if, if you're covering low to high and you come across a good trail, especially when you're out there scouting, don't be afraid to just walk that trail. Find out where it goes. What's it going to lead you to? You'll be amazed on what you can find by just following those trails. So uh, how are those Hoffman boots treating you? So, okay. The first pair of Hoffman boots I got in, I normally wear a 10 and a half and I got in, brought in 10 and a half. So the Hoffman, they seemed a little small to me. Um, the last pair I just got in last week was, were 11s. I took them up Saturday and we ended up having to do about the last five and a half miles good solid two hours and heavy, heavy rain with those boots. And they performed flawlessly. Great traction, great ankle support. I am really impressed with the Hoffmans. Uh, my feet stayed dry for the most part until I was wearing shorts until we had to walk through so much grass that my socks just got soaked with water. Um, but yeah, the Hoffman boots, they're, they're doing great. I'm really, really impressed with those. So, all right, let's see what we got back here. How vocal or quiet are the bulls typically on opening weekend? If you're not stimulating them, they can be really quiet. If something around is stimulating, they can be extremely vocal. Uh, what's the weather pattern doing? You know, do you have a front coming in? There's a lot of factors on this, guys. You know, what's the weather doing? Um, you know, what's the bull to cow ratio? Are you in a high bull to cow ratio? Are you in a low bull to cow ratio? These are all going to be factors that are going to affect how vocal bulls are. And also, you know, what's happening to stimulate them to make them call. So here's the thing to think about really on this. So think about it. You are a bull you have five or six cows with you and there's not another bull for three miles. Are you going to be popping off? Are you going to be sounding off? Are you going to be doing anything? Probably not. So, but, so now we'll say, okay, 
But what about all these people that come in and start bugling? I mean, they're acting like a bunch of bulls talking and bugling and this and that. Yes. But also they're just running around and, and, and bugling. So again, if you're just running and covering ground and you're 700 yards from that bull, again, you're, you're not a threat. You're far enough out that all you're doing is location bugles. And he's like, eh, eh. no, I don't, I don't need to respond to you. I don't want to let you know that I'm over here, that I'm sitting over here with my five cows because I can tell that you're basically advertising and moving around and just trying to locate and yeah, no. But if you, if you start telling a story that you're a bull with some cows, and in fact, the question just came in, is cow calling the best tactic? No, not always. So there isn't, there isn't a best tactic. It's not cow calling. It's not bugling. It's, it's your best tactic is going to change from each and every bull that you get encounter with, as long as you're paying attention to what he's liking, he will tell you what he likes. So, but getting back to how vocal or how quiet. So imagine if you're telling that story and you're stimulating those bulls around, you're telling a story that they're like, man, there's a party going on over there and I want to be a part of it. I want to go see what's going on over there. Are you giving them a reason to pipe off? Are you giving them a reason to, you know, come your direction? So those are all things that you have to basically think about when you're out there. So, um, Justin, I was really high elevation, 13,000 feet. Yeah, 13,000 feet, you might be a little high on there, Justin. Um, you know, you're kind of getting up into mature bull solitude area up around that range. Um, so you may have been too high. You probably saw more mountain goats uh, up in that area than maybe you did elk. So, uh, Danny, is there, feel, is there still 50% off that decoy? I believe the butthead decoy is still on sale for 50% off. You just have to go to the Native by Carlton website and check. So on a wallow, if you find one, toss two sticks in an X and you will revisit the wallow. You will know if they've used it since you, since you were there last. So, yeah, that's a good idea, Robert. Um, what is the furthest you would take a shot on an elk? Heart, that's personal preference. So me personally, I won't take a shot over 40 yards. It's not that I can't execute the shot. I mean, I execute or I practice at a lot longer yardages. It's you're shooting at a you're shooting at an animal that's unpredicted or, or unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to do, um, and they're tough animals. So uh, for me personally, it's forty yards. But I'm not here to tell you guys what what your ethics are, what your effective range is. That's something that everybody has to figure out on their own. So I want 20 yards or under personally. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, my average shot has been 22 yards on all the bulls. So, all right. Uh, I have the best luck on opening week before hunting pressure gets the big boys educated. Uh, Chatter, it's not that they're educated. It's just once a bull gets herded up, once a herd bull gets his cows, he's tough to pull away because everybody wants to go and scream at Bugle and this and that at him. Well, what do you think he's hearing every day from all the satellite bulls? People aren't doing anything different than all these pesty satellite bulls that just come in and scream. Nobody's giving him a reason to leave his cows. Nobody's giving him a reason. You know, they're trying to tempt him into a fight or this or that. Yeah, he may, he may get to that point and you may get lucky on a day to catch him in that mindset. So, but better again, tell that story. Tell that story that you're a bull with cows. One of your cows is in estrus. One of your cows is in heat. He's going to check his cows real quick and go, man, none of my ladies are uh, really in heat. But uh, that dude over there has one. See what happens when you do that. So, all right, uh, let's see. What are some dependable, most bang for your buck game cameras that you can trust putting in the field for a few weeks without checking? So Andrew, I get all of my trail cameras from Camo Fire. Um, 
if you consistently check camel fire every day, every other day, once a week or whatever, a lot of times they have trail cameras on there on sale. A lot of times they'll have packages together with trail cameras and um, uh, lock cables, memory cards. So, um, but because of the prices that paying, not paying full retail, um, I always have the bad luck with bears. Bears always want to come in and chew on my cameras. I don't know what it is about bears. They just, they're like, oh, hey, look, it's Michael's camera. And they just start chewing on it. Maybe something in the house puts a smell on they like. I don't know. Uh, when you're busted, is it bad to try to pursue or are you done? Great question. It depends, you know, how hard did they leave? Um, you know, if it's full tilt run, we're heading for the next county. It, no, it's not really worth your effort to try to pursue. Um, but sometimes if they just half-heartedly left because they saw something they weren't quite sure about, but it startled them. Yeah, you can wait a little bit and then just start following them and do a, do a lost or excited cow and just act like it's it's one that kind of got left behind. So, and that herd can can basically, um, you know, walk you right into them. So, uh, any advice on drawing a Black Hills elk tag? It is starting to piss me off. At least all my money is going to conservation. Uh, TNK, I, I wish I had some information, bud, that can help you on on drawing. I have the worst luck on draws. Um, I'm not, I'm not the guy to ask. I, I've just kind of, you know, accepted the fact that I'm going to be a uh, public land hunter and, and and I'm OK with that. So uh, but you might go check out Go Hunt. I don't know if if they would have some information on Go Hunt that would help you or not, but uh, that would be kind of the place that I would steer you towards. So uh, Trail Cam Tuesday on Camo Fire. So there you go. For those of you that are looking for trail cameras, Tuesday's the day. So, OK. What is the deal with antimicrobial game bags? So basically antimicrobial game bags, so wild game has an aggressive bacteria on it. Antimicrobial helps basically stop the growth of that bacteria is, is basically what they're doing. Um, what are the things to look for with game bags in the backcountry? So if you're going backcountry, the things you wanna look for in a game bags are lightweight, durable, uh, they allow your meat to breathe, and reusable. So in fact, your next question, are the $30 game bags at Sportsman's the same or just as good as the $90 game bags? So here's the better question. A lot of times what I found in the past is those, those cheaper game bags are only good for one season where the more expensive game bags from like 6 a.m. or Viam, it's 6 it's 6 a.m., but Viam, V-I-A-M, 6 a.m. outdoors, those game bags are reusable, which means what I do a lot of times after season is I will put them in a tub and put water and vinegar in there. That vinegar draws the blood out, and then I'll wash them a time or two and then fold them up, and they're good to go. So you can get three, four, five, six seasons out of them, depending on how well you take care of your gear. So the question is, Rick, would you rather spend $30 every year or would you rather spend $90 every four to five years? So it just all depends. So, and the cool thing about those larger kits, those $90 kits. So if you do have one bag that rips or this or that, get a hold of the company and just buy one bag to replace it. But I, I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in those synthetic bags uh, that you can use over and over and over again. And in fact, a lot of times when I've tested game bags and I take them to my butcher, uh, my butcher will let me know, yeah, these are great game bags or no, these aren't letting it breathe very much. Um, and in fact, some of the conversations that he and I have had about some of the more popular bags on the market, um, they're really not that good. So, but the 6 a.m. game bags, he gave raving reviews on it and 
definitely, definitely said those are great bags. So that's what pretty much everybody in our group uses. We just trust them and believe them. So uh, Elk Whisperer, hey, bud, I'm about to hunt an area with a lot of people here in Oregon. I'm predominantly a caller, not spot and stock. Any thoughts on calling style or techniques with a lot of pressure? Yeah, Elk, Elk Whisperer, that's what we were talking about earlier is think outside the box. Okay, there could be a lot of pressure in, in that area, but what are a majority of those people doing? Um, you know, they're just running and gunning, covering ground, looking for that one bull to pipe off. Be more patient. Stay longer in an area. Set up and do some blind calling or cold calling routines. Um, you know, and if, if you hear a lot of people coming or there's that pressure, just kind of, you know, be patient, go quiet, let them go by, and then then pick it up. So, okay. Uh, let's see. Can you tell me where the 400 plus bulls are? I could really use one to let the air out of his lungs. Yes, Danny, you are going to find that 400 plus bull in the trees on the mountainside. Um, in either Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, you know, Montana could have them too, but I would definitely look in the trees on the side of a mountain. So, <laughs> uh, Elk Whisperer, sorry I joined late. Hey, you're good, bud. Uh, and in fact, if you want, uh, for those of you that are joining late, uh, as soon as we wrap this up, um, we've got about nine minutes left, but as soon as we wrap this up, there will be replays available that you can go back and watch the first part of it if there's part of it that you missed. So, um, Caleb putting a plug in for the stock. Everybody here should try out the stock archery arrows. I like it. So, uh, let's see. Summer grounds, bulls starting to locate cow herds. Uh, Benito, yeah, I think actually from, from what I saw last weekend in our area with all the bulls being hard horned, yeah, I think they are starting to uh, really, you know, get ready uh, to break up from the bachelor groups, establish that pecking order and start locating cows. So other areas, um, I'm hearing that they're still in velvet or just barely starting to rub up. Uh, but yeah, here here within the next couple of weeks, they're going to go from velvet to hard horn and really start uh, um, picking up cows. So uh, I've been too busy shooting. How uh, how much time did I miss? So uh, not too much. So how close do you try and sneak in after a location answer before you call again? Uh, great question. I want to get within that 150 yards to 125 yards, depending, at least in our area, uh, with how thick you know we hunt. That's definitely our magic marker. Now, if you're hunting kind of, let's say you're hunting coastal Oregon where it's thicker, you, you, you can actually get a lot closer because that 150 yard mark, since it's so thick, they might not even hear you. So you might want to get in a little bit closer. Uh, if you're hunting more juniper pinion areas where maybe it's a little more open, you can't get that close. <clears throat> so really the best thing is get in as close as you can without getting busted while you're moving. So that's kind of the rule of thumb right there. So. Uh, let's see, practice to 60, shoot to 40. That's my personal rule. I like it, guys. Yeah, practicing longer yardages, it's just great. It actually makes you that much more effective at the short ranges. So uh, kudos for not shooting over 40 yards. I've shot many elk, deer, caribou, and turkey with a bow and never shot one over 17 yards. It's archery hunting. It's supposed to be up close and personal. Absolutely. So uh, do you personally hunt herd bulls without calling? No. I'm constantly, I, I love to call. I love to call. I love to see the interaction. I love to hear the responses. Um, so you, you bet I'm going to call. So now, you know, the thing is with, with hunting elk, and I know there's a lot of debates that, you know, calling is the best tactic or spot and stock is the best tactic or sitting in a trail stand is the best tactic, uh, still hunting. And honestly, if you really think about it throughout the course of the season, 
you're going to do a little bit of everything. There's a time you're going to be calling, but also during that calling, you're almost spot in stock while you're moving into setup to do a calling sequence, uh, still hunting. Um, you know, you're moving through areas you can smell out, you know, they're there. So you're slowing down so you can look for movement. So you're really kind of doing a mosh of all these different styles. Um, but definitely, yeah, my, my number one go-to is calling just cause I love the interaction. So, um, let's see. Trail cam Tuesday crap wild game innovations work great and take pretty darn good picks usually around 60 ish. Yeah. I mean, I've used spy point mole tree. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever used a wild game innovations, uh, cutty back. So I, I, I've tried a lot of different cameras over the years. Um, I, I mean, biggest thing to me is something that's easy to program that is going to have good battery life. Um, and I'm not too worried about security boxes or this or that. Typically where I'm setting the cameras, if you stumble across it, good for you. Um, hopefully the fact that you do stumble across it where they're at, you're going to be that kind of person that's just going to leave it alone. Um, I'm trying to think if I've ever actually gotten people on my trail cameras. I don't think so. So uh, let's see. As a bear hunter, wipe your cameras down with dead down wind wipes and wear latex gloves with hanging them. I don't even worry about that. I don't even do it when I'm bear hunting or elk hunting. Uh, and, and in fact, what was it? Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when we went in and swapped cards out, uh, Later that evening, actually had elk right in there on that wallow and had one elk come up. And I mean, it's no, it's, it's a bull. I know which bull it is. He's right there sniffing that camera. Didn't, didn't seem to bother them. Um, you, you, the biggest thing is you got to understand how quick, you, you know, your scent's going to disappear in that kind of stuff. So, um, that's another reason why we typically don't go back in and hunt the same place day day after day after day after day. Because if you're going day after day after day after day, you're continually dropping that scent in that area. So uh, OxyClean does wonders on reusable game bags. I love my lightweight biome bags. Uh, what about Black Orbis bags? Um, I, I, I'm not going to say anything negative about any of the any of the companies out there. I'm just going to give recommendations on what I the bags I really like, um, and I've tested several over the years. Um, like I said, the 6 a.m. or Viam bags are really really good. Goat Gear G O T E Gear is another phenomenal game bag. Those, those goat gear, the material is basically made out of the same material that they put on the inside of shoes that wick moisture away. So uh, have you ever used or heard of the Koala Buck antimicrobial spray? No, I can't say that I have. Dang it, guys. Are you serious? The clock has already started on Instagram. All right, let me browse through here real quick. Kudu Broadheads, have you used or heard of them? What's your input? Yes, I included them in some testing last year. I did not choose them. I test them. So, okay. Dang it, guys. We're there. So, pretty close to field point. Okay, some of you guys are talking about those. Uh, you're supposed to walk in front of it like Bigfoot with your pants down. Of course, you have to smile. <laughs> I like it. So, all right, guys, we are less than a minute out. So we're going to wrap this up for this week. I want to say thank you to all of you for joining in tonight. Thank you for all of your questions. We're going to do the same thing last week. I want to focus on your guys' questions. So start thinking about your questions now. I will do the post next Wednesday morning. So that way you guys can throw your questions in. As always, Keep calling, keep practicing. Most importantly, though, have fun. Guys, we are getting so, so close. Some of you guys are 10 days. Some of us are a couple of weeks out. Anyways, thank you for tuning in, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you greatly. Have a great night. We will see you guys next week on the next episode of Wapiti Wednesday Q&A brought to you by Elk Calling Academy. Have a great week, everybody. 
Follow and subscribe to Elk Calling Academy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon for tips, tactics, gear reviews, and live Q&A, helping you to success faster. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew with Sasquatch Fuel. If you're heading into the backcountry this season and you need some meals that don't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. Our 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head to SasquatchFuel.com. Hey guys, enter code Western Contours at checkout and save a few bucks off your order.